I'm Michael Brennis, and this is the Showbiz Roundup. Drummer Jeremy Cunningham's recent work draws on trauma and grief to inspire some compelling music recorded as a tribute to his brother who was murdered in 2008. His music draws Chicago peers into a community benefiting from the musical wisdom of established players like Jeff Parker. This reflective musician will be appearing in Madison on September 19th at Cafe Coda with Matt Gold and Lane Beckstrom. Jeremy Cunningham, welcome to the Showbiz Roundup. Uh, Appreciate your being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. One thing that strikes me about the jazz scene or the music scene in Chicago is that it seems like a place where more established players don't seem reluctant to collaborate with those who are newer on the scene. You know, like the scene tends toward the collaborative rather than the competitive. Uh, mm-hmm. Does that ring Does that ring true to you? And what effect has that had on you? Absolutely, it rings true. Uh, you know, that's the greatest thing about Chicago is people seem to really try to reach out and um, collaborate with new people to come to the city or to people that maybe were in a different scene or playing different stuff than maybe they were into um, and just trying new ways uh, to create art together and music. And I think, uh, you know, for me, I've kind of, you know, had people that were older call me to play music with them and I've called people that are younger than me and, you know, it just kind of seems like after a while, it's, it's more just trying to find people that are aesthetically aligned with what you're into. Um, and also, you know, just trying things just for the sake of trying things. And a lot of times I found when you just open yourself up to new possibilities that you can grow as an artist and you can, be you know a part of something sort of greater than yourself do you think part of it is that many players come to chicago as outsiders uh people come to chicago in search of a collaborative scene yeah i mean you know for me i was live i grew up in cincinnati ohio and i was touring around with this avant-garde hip-hop group named is what and that was Napoleon Maddox. Um, his he led that band, and I was doing that right after I graduated from the music school in Cincinnati, the uh, TCM College Conservatory of Music. And my girlfriend was in Boston, finishing a, or starting a master's degree in uh, psychology um, to be a counselor, um, a mental health you know, counselor. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I checked out Boston. I lived in New York for a while, like on 2003 or four. Or so I lived in Manhattan and Brooklyn and I checked out Boston and people up there that I talked to basically told me that they, they played music for almost no money. And it would be really hard for me to get on the scene because everybody knew each other from the different music programs different music schools and so it seemed like it was almost as expensive as new york and it was just going to be really hard and so me and rita took a bus to um new york we took uh you know like four-hour bus ride to new york stayed with some of my friends and she really hated new york 
and she thought I was really dirty and like, you know, just garbage on the sidewalks and like, you know, the allure of it did not appeal to her in the way that it did for me, the music scene there. And so we talked about it and we settled and on, you know, like, Hey, let's check out Chicago, you know, like, you know, LA seems too far from our families. You know, she didn't like New York. I didn't like Boston. And we couldn't really think of any other cities that had sort of a thriving jazz scene that, you know, that I knew about at the time that I wanted to be a part of. And so we visited Chicago and we loved it, you know, and we loved the fact that we could, you know, drive back home to Cincinnati and see our families. And it turned out to be the greatest place for me to move. You know, I mean, I love um, the people that I've met in Chicago and I love all the people that I've played music with over the years. And it's sort of one of those things where it was like, I didn't really know much about the music scene. I just knew I had some friends that lived up here and I would be able to make some connections that way and maybe, you know, get some work. But as I started to dig into the scene, you know, I found out about Vaughn Freeman and his session on the South side. He was still, it was kind of the last couple of years that he was doing that. And I got to go down and see him play a few times. I got to play with him on one of those because uh, I, you know, made a connection with his guitar player, his longtime guitar player and friend, Mike Alamana. Um, and I just met so many fantastic people, you know, Deep Blue Organ Trio. I used to go see them all the time, you know, and I'd go see all the different kind of scenes. And then, you know, I met Jeff Parker and lots of other people were kind of like moving to the city, like Josh Johnson. And, you know, I met Marquise Hill at a jam session at Vaughn's and we played together for years. And it's just kind of like, it just seemed like there were so many musicians and so many people that were just passionate about trying to like really make great music and really, you know, just kind of support one another in, in that endeavor. And that's, I mean, that's what I love about this city is everybody's, it, it is not competitive. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe there can be like a little bit of competitiveness, but I don't really feel that way at all. I mean, I feel like I'm just inspired by the people that I go see and play music with and you know other drummers that i go see it's just really inspiring to me um so yeah it is it's very supportive and very much a community speaking of jeff parker talk a little bit about how he you know you guys established your playing relationship like he's been on he's on your record and your latest record and also as producer how did that uh, come to be well i've known jeff for a while now um you know i met jeff um Shortly after I moved to Chicago, a bass player that I was playing with pretty frequently at the time, Clark Summers, um, gave my name to Jeff because Jeff was looking for a drummer to sub for John Herndon at Rodan. He had this weekly gig on Tuesdays at Rodan where he would improvise. And it was, you know, different people. It would be a lot of times either John Herndon, um, you know, the great drummer from Tortoise or... Frank Rosalie, um, oh, yeah. also one of my favorite drummers in the world, mm -hmm. um, and usually Joshua Abrams, um, and you know different folks. Um, but it was it was those guys a lot, um, and so you know he got my number and Jeff called me up and he said, "Hey, would you you know want to play with me at Rodan?" And you know I was like, "Yeah, absolutely, I'll be there." You know what time? And we played together and it was fun. 
you know, it was Joshua Abrams and Jeff. Um, we played a bunch of monk tunes and, you know, started to get to know each other. You know, we did a couple more things like that. And then, you know, um, I would call Jeff to play some stuff, you know, like sessions at, at my apartment in Bucktown. And he lives pretty close to where I lived um, on the other side of Western. And, uh, you know, we were just playing and our friend Joshua, uh, Josh Johnson, um, who plays in, you know, Jeff's band, the new breed, you know, he was, he had just moved there from IU. And so the three of us were playing and we were playing with this bass player, Jake Vinsel a lot. And Jeff would call us for different gigs that he was doing. Um, and yeah, you know, we were just kind of playing a lot. And, you know, the more that I got to know Jeff, you know, the, you know, the more, you know, we just kind of like, we just had a, a relationship that we just became friends, you know? And, um, when I went to make my first record, you know, I was just like, yeah, I really wanted to play with Jeff and Josh and Jake Vinsel. Um, but Jake had kind of stopped playing and he was training to be a principal in a high school. Um, you know, and it seemed like he wasn't gonna have the time to do it, you know? And so, um, I asked Matt Eulery to do it because we had been playing a lot. And that was like my first record was just trying to capture that time sort of right before Jeff left Chicago to move out to L.A. Yeah. And Josh also got into the Monk Institute and he moved out to L.A. to capture this time of when we were kind of playing together on the first record that I made. And when I went to make my second record, I knew that I wanted Josh and Jeff and probably Matt, too. But I knew I wanted to use electric. And so I basically just recorded some stuff in Chicago um, with John McIntyre and I knew I needed to record some other stuff. And I went out to LA and Jeff introduced me to Paul Bryan, the bass player that plays in his band, who's an amazing producer and engineer. And we recorded some stuff at Paul's house and it went really well. And I just remember later that night, Jeff called me on the phone and he was like, Hey, how do you feel about me producing your record? You know, with Paul, we've been talking about doing something like that. Like, how would you feel about that? And for me, it was just relief, you know, because the music on that record is so personal and so heavy that it was like starting to get to a point where it was hard for me to make decisions, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of the stuff on the record, you know, is from those original sessions in Chicago. But some of that stuff was read in L.A. and redone, you know, because of those guys experience, you know, recording music for so many years and making such great records for such a long time. They knew what to do, but it was just a relief. And, it, and the way that we kind of approached it, you know, with all the decisions was just kind of a democracy. It was like, you know, like there's three of us. So, you know, it's the majority. And, um, you know, that's kind of how it shook out most of the time. Um, yeah, it was great. I mean, it was a great experience. It was tough to go through. And I know we all put in a lot of work and, you know, it, it was, it was hard emotionally to face some of that stuff. And I know that it was hard for those guys too. Um, but I'm really proud of the work that we did together. And frankly, it would never have come together in the way that it did without, uh, Jeff and Paul. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, w when you go from, producing your own stuff to actually having some more ears in the booth to produce. I mean, it's a big 
it's a big transition and it, it makes a huge difference. I, I found that to be true too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, working with those guys and, you know, I mean, it, you know, it wasn't all easy, you know, like I would fight them on some that certain things that they wanted to do that I didn't think were the right moves. And ultimately, you know, I, I think I came around even though I battled them on a few things mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, but I just trusted them because I, you know, cause I've, I've listened to their music and stuff that they've been involved with. And it was kind of a, it was just kind of a no brainer eventually where it was just like, you know, I just got to trust these guys and, you know, trust what they're saying to me, Yeah. you know, but it's just like with music that's so personal, it's, you know, everything starts to get so personal because like, you know, you're I'm basically trying to like confront this trauma that happened to my family and mm -hmm. trying to make sense of it and piece together a story and a narrative. And Jeff was really, really helpful with that. You know, he sequenced the, the record and uh, the big piece on there that's like the all of the interviews of people, you know, he basically was like, you know, get get some of these things that you want on here down to like a minute and a half, two minutes, you know, because I had all this material from these interviews that I conducted of my family and my brother's friends and stuff. Yeah. And he's like, just find these little poignant statements that you like or whatever it is and the stuff you think is important. And so I kind of whittled it down and then whittled it down again. And then he put that together, that collage together. He put it together and made it tell a story. And he found people saying the same things and like put that next to each other. I mean, he did that. He took this idea that I had and made it happen. And it still completely blows me away. That's amazing. I mean, yeah, I mean, I still, I'm still floored that he even took the, you know, that he was going to take the time to put that much work into it, man. I mean, it's just sometimes, you know, like I, you know, I'm just, I'm just like, wow, you know, like, I don't know. I don't expect people necessarily to do that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's like when, you know, those guys did that, that was just, I don't know. I just feel super grateful and very lucky to have those guys as collaborators and more so as friends. Yeah. Um, you you alluded to this, the trauma that you alluded to, but for folks who don't know, your your brother was murdered in 2008. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then you recorded uh, Redawn from Far um, after mm -hmm. that. And, and that's that's an homage to your brother. Um, yeah. And then and, and kind of a, a look to the future. I think you've said about that record. And then the next record that we were just talking about, The Weather Up There, um, mm -hmm. is more directly a tribute to his life. Yeah. Did it take time to process how you wanted to celebrate your brother musically, like the the change from the, the first record to the to the weather up there? Yeah, for sure. You know, I the weather up there is is it's really that that's the record that I've been trying to write since the day that he died, you know whether I knew that or not, or I knew that I was searching, I knew I wanted to write something for him, you know, and it started out kind of you know, simple enough, you know, I'll write a song for my brother, you know, and that, that didn't really do it. You know, I wrote a song with a, a friend, a piano player, um, one of my best friends, Andrew Toombs, and that didn't really do it. You know, it was like, that wasn't, that wasn't fully the thing. It, it was, it had some of the stuff in there, but it wasn't it. 
And I kept trying to write music and I kept trying to search out things that I really liked in music to grow as a musician and being in Chicago, you know, being exposed, you know, to all those different scenes, you know, like Vaughn Freeman playing and, you know, Bobby Broom and the Deep Blue Organ Trio with Greg Rockingham and Chris Foreman, you know, Jeff Parker playing free with John Herndon, all these situations and my own playing experiences with, you know, Marquise Hill and Caroline Davis and seeing all these people play. It was just like, I just kept gathering things and kept thinking about it and all this stuff. And after I'd made that first record, I, I just really thought about like, well, what can I do? You know? And, um, you know, I was talking to Makaya McRaven, one of my best friends in the whole world, um, about this years ago. And he was just like, you know, he said two things that were really important to me. And, and one was, you should use everything that you have, you know, use everything that you have, you know. And what he was trying to say was he knew that I had gotten into writing some poetry when I was in college. And um, he also knew that, you know, I was into certain styles of music. And he was like, you should use all of it, you know, use every resource that you have. But the most important thing that he said to me was, you should write music that you want to listen to. Hmm. You know, yeah. and I think for me, I was struggling like I've seen a lot of people struggle after going to jazz school where it's like, you know, like modern jazz schools in, in a certain sense where it's like you get hung up on this like stylistic stuff and feel like you got to do this thing. And I felt like maybe I got stuck in that for a while. And, you know, without harping on it too much, I, I sort of had to let those things go and just try to write some music that you know, I felt like was coming from me and stuff that I actually really liked. Cause you know, it's not, you know, it, it just took a while for me to kind of connect everything where it was like, you know, it wasn't just like, you know, the only thing I loved in music was, you know, the John Coltrane quartet, you know, or these records that I would listen to over and over like live at Birdland or Miles Davis's relaxed and, mm-hmm. you know, Dexter Gordon, you know, um, our man in Paris, that those kind of records, you know, or like Deep Blue Organ Trio, whatever it was, you know, it was like, you know, the first album I ever bought was a cassette tape of Jimi Hendrix's greatest hits because I just wanted to listen to Little Wing over and over again. Uh, yeah. And like, I love Mitch Mitchell. I love that band. I love that trio. And there was a lot of stuff like that, you know, and so I just kind of was like, looked at it and was like, how can I just write some music that I really like. And so really there was just like a lot of preparation to get there. I wrote a lot of stuff down and sort of like this broken prose or like half poetry kind of style that I'll, I'll write stuff down with, try to describe moments of my life with my brother or like, you know, vibrant memories that I have and like what was happening at that time. And then I used a lot of those, um, sort of memories and and access points and would sort of put myself into them and then wait for some like musical idea to come through. And then I would try it out. And most of those ideas would come and those were the songs on the record, but there are plenty that I threw away. Um, But I really tried to access and get in touch with, you know, sort of the emotional content of that. And I think I always knew that it wasn't going to be enough for it just to be my own personal reflection because what happened 
was more than that. It was like my whole family, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. my friends, you know, my girlfriend at the time, brother's girlfriend, her friends, you know, all these people, you know, the people that did that to my brother, their families, you know, it was like, yeah, yeah. it just ripples out forever, right. you know. And I always feel this when I talk about this. It's like, you know, here I am talking to you about it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it just kind of never ends, you know, and it's, it's hard to make peace with. Um, and so, you know, I just had to like try to keep some of those things in mind. And that's when I got the idea of why well, I should interview these people. I should ask them. And that was really cathartic because, you know, everybody had stuff that was unique to them about the trauma but everybody also had a lot of these commonalities, you know, about how they felt about guns, you know, and how they felt about, you know, life and, you know, how that affected them and all these things. And, you know, it's, it's good to feel like some solidarity with people, you know, and it's, it's stuff I never wanted to talk to them about. Cause it's like, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, you don't want to, you know dredge stuff up right and bring people down you know but it was great to have those conversations you know and uh and really heavy you know i think um i know i'm kind of rambling um but i'll just say this last thing you know during one of those conversations my aunt cynthia told me about this dream she had and that's what's on the first track sleep you know and she was sleeping soundly um up here in oak park you know, suburb just outside of Chicago. And, um, and she was having this dream about my brother, you know, in the kitchen and she walks down the stairs and he's there and she's just like, it's so great to see you. I'm so glad you stopped by. And she gets woken up from this dream by a phone call. Mm. And it's my dad calling to tell her that my brother had been murdered. Mm. And like that, you know, I think I've tried to talk myself into being an atheist, like, I don't know, probably a dozen times, you know, after being raised Catholic and seeing some things in the church that really rubbed me the wrong way. But, um, (laughs) but, you know, that story and those kinds of things just really just remind me that like, I have no idea what's really going on. And I have no idea what happens when people die. Cause that's, that's just, uh, that's, it's too much of a coincidence for her to have that dream on that night and be woken up in that way for me to think that there's not some sort of um, energy that people carry around and that is like in our bodies while we're here. And, and then it's not, you know, when we die. And so, yeah, super heavy, but anyway, sorry, <laughs> kind of a long rambling response i no, apologize no. no i i really appreciate your sharing that with us it's it's uh the context and you know everything it it, it means a lot so thanks um of course. yeah i i would like to talk a little bit about your approach to playing the drums to as sure another, as another subject um i mean this as a compliment but it seems like you're you're not a flashy player in the way that some people are these days you're mm-hmm. more tuned into like uh, the art of accompaniment or playing for the song, as people say. But at the same time, I mean, I hear the influence of Elvin Jones, among other people. Um, and you mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, being way into Coltrane and the quartet. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about your approach to playing the drums. Yeah, you know, 
I guess for me, the thing that's always been the most important is to try to make like a really good sound as far as how I hear it, you know, and like a sound that's sort of expansive um, and rounded and like warm. And so I spent a lot of time just uh, sitting with a ride cymbal and trying to get a really good, consistent sound and feel. And I apply that sort of to all the drums. And I had some teachers that were into that as well. John Von Olin was my drum teacher and he had different ways of helping people to tune in to getting a good sound. And then once you get a good sound, being able to, you can relax and then you can start to take that sound that you're making and creating that you that you're happy with and connecting it with other people in the band and that was a thing that we talked about a lot um and there's a great percussionist in cincinnati named james cully and uh and jim had me playing timpani and stuff and it was kind of the same thing it was like if you could just like hit a drum like get a beautiful tone you know which involves a lot of like you know not having too much tension you know, just, just what you need to like hold the stick and like hit, you know, hit the thing that you're hitting. And it's amazing. Cause like, you know, when you hit a timpani and you hit it with like some tension or you hit it like at a weird angle, they sound absolutely horrible. <laughs> like it's like, it's, it's crazy. And it also makes you think of like the length of a note and stuff. Cause you have to mute them and things like that. Cause it's such a large diaphragm that you're hitting. Um, so I think like, those concepts of just good sound and feel, you know, are really important to me. Um, I also think about texture a lot and how to create sort of like a rolling texture. And I get that from having lis listened to Elvin for such a long time, like how to get that sort of like circular feeling, yeah. that tumbling, yeah. you know, this sort of like undulates unto itself. Um, and then another like early thing that, really shaped me was Nasheet Waits came to Cincinnati with Fred Hirsch. Um, and I was talking to him after the show that he played and, you know, about his concept. And he said, you know, you should just try to be water when you play. He's like, cause if you put water into a vessel, it will take the shape of that vessel. He's like, and if you're a body of water, like the ocean, you know, you have all of the big long rhythms, you know, and the depths, and as you get closer and closer to the shore, those are all your quick rhythms and stuff, but you're still all connected in this big thing. And if you can be like water, then you can take whatever shape you need to take. You can play any rhythm, you know, and you can be this thing that's like sort of, you know, can always kind of be there mm -hmm. at the right moment. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of think about these concepts, you know, when I'm playing, um, I'm just trying to create something that goes along with the song and like the way that people are playing. Um, I don't know. I've never really been into like the flashy thing. Cause it's, I've never been into drummers that are like that. You know, I remember early on in high school, like, you know, drummers, all the drummers and like the marching band, you know, I played like snare drum in the marching band. They're all into Neil, you know, Neil Peart. Yeah. And, uh, and I hated it. You know, I was like not into it, you know, at the time, you know, I, I you know, I, I respect it now, but at the time I, I absolutely hated it. I was just like, man, no way. I don't want to listen to this at all. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, like I wanted to listen to Mitch Mitchell or like Ringo 
you know, play, you know, some of those grooves, you know, like, you know, like something or, you know, and even stuff that I found even just in the last few years that I've been into, you know, like, I think it was only like four or five years ago that I like started listening to the band for the first time and listening to Leave on Helm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and like yeah. listening to those recordings, I mean, it's, I, I don't know, it's like feel, you know, exactly. and that's something I've been yeah. really trying to check out is just like getting a really consistent sound and having really like consistent time. And that's kind of the stuff I've been working on a lot, you know, listening to records, you know, like the band records or like Bill Withers records with James Gadsden, you know, stuff like that. That's like really interests me and i've been you know kind of pursuing that i've been taking some lessons with jamiah williams who i just absolutely think is one of the most incredible drummers you know of our time and uh and he's really been helping me think about playing time in a different way so you know yeah yeah i'm still working on it yeah. <laughs> still trying to figure it out aren't we all yeah that's so cool i've i've heard uh a similar concept to the the water in a vessel like Billy Ward talks about the inner mm. workings of like a Swiss watch where, you know, you got the big gears and you got the mm -hmm. little gears and they all kind of work together, you know, to mm -hmm. make, make the time happen. So just another yeah. way of thinking about that, too. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a, yeah. My one of my teachers at CCM would say that about Tony Williams. He's like, you know. He's like, you know, that's where all that he's like, he's got all those gears going. And he can just go into them at any time. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a, a way to go. Um, yeah, I think for me, like I thought about stuff in like such like linear terms for for a while and sort of would get into that sort of playing, you know, just like playing, not really playing anything at the same time, just all like single, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. hits, even though you're playing like a string of time. Right um that kind of stuff but you know i'm trying to figure out a different way you know so that you know i'm just i'm just floored you know you know i told jamire this but like i saw jamire play with jeff at his um album release show when he released the new breed and there's a song on that record called here comes ezra and it's a beat you know it's a repetitive like loop you know it's a loop and it's a great beat you know that jeff made and jamira's on the show at the hideout in chicago and he's like playing this beat you know or something similar to it and you know dustin lorenzi was playing saxophone josh johnson was playing keys and saxophone jeff's up there and paul bryan and dustin solos for a while josh solos for a while they're playing like some of the best solos i've ever heard them play you know knowing these guys for a long time jeff you know plays a solo the whole time, Jamire's playing this beat, not playing any fills, not really even altering it. I don't think he altered it at all. I think yeah. he just played the beat. And it sounded like he was playing everything. Hmm. And I was just like, how is he doing that? Like, how is he making this sound like everything in the world is happening? Like, the most, you know, like, this is such a great feeling. You know, like, it sounds like he could, you know, he's playing all this stuff, you know, like, all you know great fills and everything and he's just playing this beat you know and you know we talked about that and uh you know he just the way he talks about how he feels time 
is where that comes from. And I hear that in his playing and I hear that in James Gadsden's playing. I hear that in Levon's playing. Elvin Jones too, you know, it's not, even if he's, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff where he's playing stuff that's not like all this like rolling triplets and stuff around the drums. There's plenty of stuff where he's just like keeping some time and it's like has like its own gravity. So that's the stuff I've been thinking about lately. And it's like, that's what I've been working on, you know, as of late, you know. So I think for me, it's just like, just try to get better and keep getting better, whatever that means to me at whatever time in my life, you know. But right now, that's the stuff that's like really, really has my attention. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jeremy, it's been a great pleasure having you on the show. Uh, it's been really fun to talk to you. I, I feel like you might be the first drummer who I've had on the show, but oh wow, I'm a drummer myself, so. Oh, cool. It's fun to talk shop. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. That's it for another episode of the Showbiz Roundup. If you'd like more information about this show or any of the past or future shows presented by Blue Stem Jazz, you can head over to bluestemjazz.org. And you can follow my doings or be in touch via rattletickbuzz.com. Catch you later. <laughs>